Hey guys, welcome to Tech Point Africa podcast. My name is Emmanuel. I'm Oluwani Femi. I'm Chingozwe. And I'm Bolo. Yeah, this this week is almost gone. So fast, so soon. Yeah, anything eventful? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Salary week. Salary week, okay. Oh, that's time, something. That time to be that <laughs> tech bro that you know. And uh, send that uncle message for urgent 2K. This is just like... <laughs> perfect timing yeah from now to the end of the month just just yeah. time so but yeah uh, to all of us all of those of you who have been listening to tech point africa podcast we've seen your reactions online i really appreciate you and to those who've been dragging us we love you <laughs> yeah what she said no strings at <laughs> we really do yeah yeah so let's let's move on and um there are exciting stories to talk about today too. So, Uba just announced that they've completed 1 billion rides in Africa. That was yesterday, I guess. So, what's yeah. going on with that? It's it's nice, but I don't know what's I, nice I, about it. I know how nice it is, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, when you reach milestones, you should celebrate them, right? And this is one of Uba's milestones as one of the first ride dealing companies in the world. Uber entered Africa in 2013 and it just announced that it has recorded its one billionth ride in Africa. It's, I don't know what to feel about it because it's the same year that Uber entered Africa, that it's also entered India mm. and South Asia. And India and South Asia reached their one billionth ride in 2018. That was five, five years after it launched in that region. So I don't know what to feel about this. In UK, if you want to compare again, it reached its one billion ride in 10 years. So I think Nigeria is, Africa rather is better than UK when, when you want to compare it now. The, the comparison, do you think it's fair? One billion people no. versus... Yeah, an entire continent versus... Just one, <laughs> one of the smallest countries. And world. not to even mention that this is a country that has a functional transportation system. Exactly. Already, like, so people will focus more on the yeah. um, public Uber transport. Probably just be nice to have, not right? To but yeah, as I said, I don't know what to feel. But on a lighter note, when um, Uber recorded its one billion ride in UK, it gave the person that ordered the one billion ride. No, not a car. <laughs> Free Uber rides for 10 years. Can oh. they afford that in 10 Nigeria? years? 10 we, years. They use Uber for charter. But that's on the lighter note. But I just feel like Uber's entering into Africa gave room to other ride dealing apps, even local ones, aside mm. both to open up and start operating in the continent. Right. So, yeah. I guess. Th- that there's something to feel there in this instance, right? Africa's mobility sector. There are lots and lots of conversations to have around mobility in Africa. And uh, the sector has witnessed some kind of ups and downs. You have high and lows. I remember when Gokada, Max and Oride were storming the streets of Lagos. And man, those guys were something else during that period. And... All of a sudden, in late January 2020, everything went crashing down. But even though it went crashing down for motorcycle hailing companies, we've seen other companies in the mobility space like uh, 
GIG Mobility, Plenty Waka, which is now Trips, and Shotless. We've been seeing those guys techifying mobility as mm-hmm. it were in Africa. So, but there are lots of conversations to be had around this, right? What is really happening in the space? What are the issues these people are facing? And what kind of narratives do we need to be having about mobility in Africa? This Uber narrative now is just one aspect. There are older, several other aspects. I mean, I talked with Enaru Okai, the newly appointed CEO of GIG Mobility, and he had some interesting perspective and he gave us a sneak peek on what to expect because as it is now, the players in Africa's mobility space are gearing up to have serious conversations about mobility in Africa. They want to actually try to shape the narrative. So with that, they are launching the inaugural Africa Mobility Conference and to be taking place on June 2, 2022. We cannot forget quickly what happened in 2020 with the ban of bike hailing um, in Lagos State, right? And it, it, the conversation has to be had about regulations, about how this uh, the solution they are bringing, how we can embrace the solutions they are bringing, how we can put them, like add them into our daily lives without feeling threatened, you get. And I, yeah. I feel it's, it's an event that has come as a perfect at perfect time yeah yeah beyond the whole tech stuff there's one key very very basic issue that needs to be addressed and you know how we actually pointed that out in our conversation you know so that but it's important that we really really talk about the issue of insecurity for people who are traveling and be able to come up with certain things um certain discourse that we will push to the government about it that is like extremely key. No matter how much people fly, we're going to have um, multiple of people who are traveling. Um, so if one person is flying, maybe another 1,000 is, is traveling by the road. That needs to be discussed, actually. Yep. Yeah, it really, really needs to be discussed because recently people are scared to travel. Right, especially um, interstate travels and leaving out, leaving your geopolitical zone, going to other geopolitical zones, it's very, very scary to travel. It is. We need to, we need to have the conversation. Yep. So we'll be linking to this conversation we had with uh, the new CEO of GIG Mobility, and of course, in that article you see the link to register. It's completely free, and try to get your slot as soon as possible. So yeah, there's that for mobility in Africa. So talking about Africa, talking about mobility, talking about regulations, Kenya is up to something really, really interesting. Okay, so Kenya has plans, or not really just plans, they are rolling out a telemedicine program across the country. So on the last episode of the podcast, we are talking about um, Nigeria taxing alcohols in order to provide health insurance. So Kenya is deciding to launch a telemedicine program across the country. So basically the idea is that um, not everyone can access quality health care, especially if you're in the rural area, because I think much of Africa is, is really very much similar. So if you can't, even in the rural areas, you probably have less access to a doctor or doctors compared to someone in urban areas. So the idea is that people who are far away can actually access quality health care. 
So to do that, the government is setting aside 600 million shillings. That's like five million dollars to lay this foundation. So one of the things that the Dr. Joseph Sitieni, please forgive Chingozi. Yes. He's the head of the health service management department in the Kenyan Ministry of Health, and one of the things that he said that was that was very striking for me was, if we cannot provide enough skilled staff in all our health facilities, we can surely take the skilled staff to the rural areas through telemedicine, and this is important because Kenya has a doctor-to-patient ratio of about one to three thousand, that's like three times above the ratio that the UN. Um, recommend so the UN says at least one to one thousand, and that's like bad as bad. Mm-hmm. But they have one to three thousand, and with these plans, they are actually going to reach a whole lot of people. So they started this previously, and then they are also layering medical records as well. So like you can walk into any of these telemedicine centers, and your health records are synced regardless of where you are. So it's It's very interesting because it means you could be in, I don't know, Nairobi, for example, one remote area in Nairobi, and you go to another part of Kenya. I don't really know Kenya, so mm-hmm. go to another place, but you just walk in, your your health records are downloaded. So one mm-hmm. of the things he also said is complete collection of quality health data is the backbone of planning and evidence-based decision making. Mm-hmm. This is only possible when we adapt and deploy technology in all service delivery points. So. Sounds like something I can relate with. Like, sorry, let me rephrase that. <laughs> Why you apologize? Wait. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I don't have to apologize, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's startups that come up with with ideas like this. Normally, when you mm-hmm. talk about health, healthcare, right now, for a government to now think this up yeah. and have plans to follow it through, I find it commendable. Yeah. I think every government should, especially in Africa, where we have like almost absent healthcare services. I, I think it's it's important that governments take the lead because, unlike education, I mean, y- you could probably get menial jobs if you're not educated, mm. but if you get menial healthcare, <laughs> you die. <laughs> you die. <laughs> so I think the first thing every government should focus on is providing quality healthcare. Mm-hmm. And considering how costly it is to actually provide health services, then it just makes sense that the government leads that conversation. Because if you're going to one of the th- one of the reasons why they're doing this is that doctors are more likely to spend time in urban areas. Yeah, I mean, sure. I don't know any, I don't know too many doctors who would opt to stay in the rural areas when they could easily move to Lagos. Mm-hmm. Right, so if you would rather go there, then it makes sense. Like what you're saying, if we can't get to them, then how about we bring? So it's basically bringing them uh, or bringing healthcare very, very close to them. So yeah, okay. So I'm thinking of how that would that would work. Mm-hmm. So two scenarios. Yeah. If see, um, you're trying to serve people in rural areas, right, mm-hmm. and they might not have the devices to yeah. assess telemedicine services okay but then i thought that what if there's um a clinic health center exactly that has like a laptop or a device that supports mm. telemedicine yeah. so when they come to consult you yeah. just link to the doctor in the rural area 
and they reconcile. Yeah, that's that's cool. actually what they're doing. But funny enough, it looks like that's not much of a problem because data from the Communications Authority of Kenya is saying that active mobile SIM card subscriptions are like 64.4 million. This is as at last year. Mm-hmm. And that's like a serious um, population or a serious percentage of the population. Internet subscriptions are like 46.7 million people or 46.7 million subs. And that's 99% of it are mobile data subs. Mm. So obviously a lot of people a lot of Kenyans to uh, they have access to these devices and mm. they can actually access yeah um, healthcare. Yeah, yeah looking at the stats Kenya actually leads the rest of Africa when it yeah. comes to internet penetration True. like 87% of their population has access to the internet. So right. the the medicine can actually work well and better than it would. So this this is making me think about the whole healthcare system. Uh, we operate uh, as against startups doing stuff like this. We have a government doing stuff like this, which should be the ideal case, which should be what we should run with. We let private companies just move fast, run fast, and innovate fast, or we let government run point on this. Or what am I even saying? Sir? <laughs> so it reminds, let, can we let? <laughs> <laughs> so it reminds me of the conversation we had during Tech Point Building in January this year when. Um, we had startup founders discuss in a panel session about where you balance healthcare. Is it should we leave public healthcare to the government or we should leave it to these private companies? Yeah. So uh, there was a unanimous agreement among the founders okay. that whether no matter the number of health tech startups that are in a country, yeah. they cannot fill in the gap that the government is supposed to fill. Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. it it has to be a, a cooperation between them, right? They can't no part no no one can do it on either the government or health tech startups, right? So it has to be two of them coming together, especially when it comes to sharing data. So I, I don't know which startup was talking about an API that will allow you to to be able to assess a patient data anywhere you go to. Right. Was, I don't know if they've launched it, but I think they have right. So if that works mm. and you have your data with a government hospital, yeah. when you go to a private hospital, when you go to a uh, health, like Reliance Health platform, for instance, right, you can find your medical history from what was sent from the public hospital you, you get. So it has to be a collaboration between both of them. Yeah. I think uh, I also agree because... So one of the issues that health tech founders have is you want, you're building like EMR, that's electronic medical records, and you come to a hospital and then they are giving you attitudes because one, they see you as a competitor, first of all, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't want to like give you their records because if you have my records, potentially you also have my patients. Yes. Government or private? No, um, private, okay. like currently. So when that happens, it's difficult because they can't sync like hospitals can work um, like together. So what happens if I was staying in Lagos and then I relocate to Abuja, for example, and I now have to do a fresh set of tests. Mm-hmm. What if it's an emergency situation and there isn't enough time for them to like get my medical history exactly. and all. So what happens? Well, like, I, I think a situation where the government leads, for example, something like this. So if the government actually leads medical records, for example, they can easily, they, be, they don't really need to mandate you, 
But I think it's easier for when the government. They, it, it, they are easier to follow. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, if the government tells you, hey, submit your records, mm-hmm. not like they they keep a month, but like they tell you, okay, submit your records. Basically, what we need is open banking for healthcare. Right? Something like that, at least for <laughs> for records. For yes. yeah, healthcare records exactly. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, private hospitals are now mandated to share hospital records mm-hmm. and all of that. So, yeah, I think that's cool. And uh, it's making me think about a lot of things that the government is actually be mandating us to do and use. All the way in the Central African Republic, the government <laughs> is coming up with something else to try. Yeah, and in the news recently, right? Yeah, when yeah. news, if you remember, the, one of the first countries in the world to actually accept Bitcoin. But now it seems they want to actually mandate something regarding investment, please. Okay, uh, I won't I won't say mandate, but let's take the story from the top. The beginning. Yes, okay, the in the beginning, in the beginning, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, in the beginning. yeah, so earlier this month, there was news, Central African Republic was in the news about them trying to adopt or adopting Bitcoin as a legal tender. But then we got you know, an update from Times of India that said it wasn't actually a legal tender, that is a reference currency. But with uh, the reports we've been seeing so far, the tomato, tomato, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which, which, when we even say reference currency, I think that even makes it worse because why would you make something as volatile as Bitcoin a reference currency? So you see the same thing: reference currency, legal tender, hey. <laughs> But what what the reason why they are not in the news again is because they are trying to create an investment platform for cryptocurrencies. Basically, they are calling it an investment hub, like a digital hub for cryptocurrencies. There's there's really there's little that has been reviewed on it, but they've launched a website and they actually have a waiting list for people to join. Have you joined? Is <laughs> a Nigerian? No, I trust no, no, no. him. They, they actually, you can, when, if you want to join, you tell them the country you are from. You can also contribute. You can contribute. Oh, you that's cool. Do I have to drop money? <laughs> no, no, no. From, from I can contribute I wisdom. Yeah, they said you can <laughs> contribute from. There are several sectors. Uh, there's design and construction, education, energy, entertainment and culture. How does all that time I do? I guess we'll find out. So the investment <laughs> hub, what am I investing in? Am I using crypto to invest in something or am I investing in something and you give me crypto? Okay, so why why exactly did they, did they decide to post this? So from what the president said, he said um, what was saying was still all about why the country wants to use Bitcoin, why they need Bitcoin to do that and then he's saying that the, the formal economy is no longer an option. Saying that it keeps us stuck in a bureaucracy that does not <laughs> give a chance to be competitive, and I'm like, okay. In simple terms. Okay, yes, he wants he wants a system. I guess no, don't let me say he because it seems like it's the old, the old, uh, exactly that really wants that stuff. And when you think about it, the, you really need to. You, you can't exist as an island, you can't exist alone. And when you decide to accept Bitcoin as a legal tender or reference currency, whichever one, how do you relate bilateral um, relationships with other countries? How do you work out exchanging 
you know, importation, exportation, stuff like that. And it's going to get quite complicated. And we've seen the IMF come at them, telling them, see, this, this thing can really work out. Uh, we've seen the, the central bank for the six states that use the CFA franc, which is actually the currency that Central Africa Republic uses for the descendants to adopt. To go AWOL. Exactly. To go to go, rogue. to go all in on, on Bitcoin. And just like a lot of people have had their doubts about them um, accepting Bitcoin as a legal tender, people have the same issues that surround that that surrounds that decisions keep coming up again. The issues of them not having enough internet penetration, not having enough electricity. They should, they should run yes. I don't know why. And it's surprising because just according to data reporters, they have, according to data reporters, they actually have in 2020 655,000 people in Central African Republic had internet connectivity. And that's a country of, of how many people? Out of 4.83 million people. Okay. Not bad. But you think? Then, that's not bad. It is Probably it not. is bad. <laughs> <laughs> it is bad. I was expecting words actually. I was expecting <laughs> like, words. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but but it's 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 bad. So what will happen to the rest? Is it that uh, they'll go and find they'll start doing trade by butter when everybody No, no, Momo for Bitcoin, something like that. I don't know why yes, this comes out to me like as virtual a virtual signal for lack of a better word. I mean I said it a terrible time. government or a country that doesn't have any like you're poor <laughs> why the hell you're in debt you're, you're in debt why is bitcoin? i mean everybody's in debt so mm-hmm. that one day why is bitcoin <laughs> in a serious thing. issue for you why do you want to die on this thing so i'm thinking about it in this way right this particular tool you've been using has not been working for you decide to use a different tool so mm-hmm. i'm looking at bitcoin from this stance as a tool for economic maneuvers right mm-hmm. financial maneuvers so if they want to actually try to change things up maybe they'll try to use a different tool but at the end of the day it's still a tool if every if system the underlying <laughs> problems are, are not addressed if the system is rotten it's it's just no but seriously Bolu this year where three people are giving me a <laughs> like they are very very every, every, every other week about it is um, the name of the investment hub I don't know how to pronounce it but I have several uh, pronunciations for it apologies in advance <laughs> <laughs> okay one is Songo you can call it Songo <laughs> another is Shongo I don't know if you are <laughs> but it's spelled S-A-N-G okay Project Shongo yeah, exactly Shango. Project Shango Sango you should have you should have checked up the pronunciation okay how do you want to know that yeah. exactly so they, they have a wait list uh you can go and join man you can join the wait list. i should join prudential go and now your church mind will not allow you <laughs> don't worry no. okay the for the sake already. of church mind we shall say prudential go yes open <laughs> state nigeria <laughs> <laughs> so anyway that's that's cool but let's still hang on to web3 right africans mm. are trying to from what I can see, right, Africans are trying to use Web3 as this tool to upend all the issues they're having. Yeah. And we're hearing on that one. The whole issue of Europeans coming to steal our artifacts, the yeah. vestiges of our history. They what want to the use thing? Black Panther. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I watched mine in the journey of a 
an African colony or something. Yeah, the, the documentary on Netflix. So they stole artifacts. They stole a lot of things. But instead of going to pull a Michael B. Jordan Black Panther and steal it from the museum directly, we want to loot it digitally. Will you please explain how they want to loot digital okay. apps? Okay, yeah, so there's there's been a new development in the NFT space. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's and a new development every day. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, the space is just, it's, it's hard to keep up with, but we are trying our best. So, a gentleman by the name of T.D. Mwambani, please. So he has created an NFT project called Luti. So Luti is <laughs> why is like they want to loot. I mean think about it, they looted you now you're <laughs> Okay, but want to use tech web three to lose exactly. this back. Oh, well, you will not finish us. <laughs> Alright, so what what CD is actually trying to do is it's calling it the repatriation, digital repatriation of um, looted art. So what he does is he goes to museums, scans those looted arts, like museums outside Africa, for example in the UK where they have the Benin artworks and the artifacts. He scans them, mm-hmm. they turn them into a three, 3D representation of that particular artifact and then they they put it, they create it into an NFT and then they put it on the website where people can go and see them or also even buy them. So in a way, instead of going to the museum, yes, in the UK to go and see the things that they've taken from your forefathers, TD is bringing it to you so you can So quick, quick question, and do you pay to view? No, no, you don't pay to view. Don't pay to view. So only but when you, you buy, buy. Yes. or you can buy. You can buy. All right. So we are talking about privacy during tabs. Mm. You just walk into my museum, you, you scan something, and then you walk out and place it on the website. Okay. So, CD, according to what I read on Reuters, they said the the procedure, what it's doing is they've checked it and it's absolutely legal. Okay. Okay, sorry, Madam Producer, we need one minute to try this sound. It's a very important piece. <laughs> okay. Yeah, continue. All right. So, he scans it, and then he puts it on the platform, and then you can see. They said it's absolutely legal. The process, the whole process is legal. So, 20% of whatever the NFT makes goes to young Africans, young okay. African artists mm-hmm. that are actually trying to create their own artworks and things like that so what it, what is trying actually trying to solve with this is two things there's the digital repatriation side of it and there's also the side of um african artists that would have used those art- artifacts if they had seen them as a source of inspiration so for example now king gozumi might not be at that point maybe he would be somewhere you know, about constructing sculptures. No due to why now would have been inspired. So Aruku Dynasty. If you have been inspired, if he was able to see those things, if they're not taken from us, Jim was even like creating some of the really beautiful So that's the two things Chidi is trying to achieve with this. I reached out to him on Twitter actually, but I didn't get a response. Well, I hope if, if he's listening to this, he would respond and let us trash this out more. Tell us what he really hopes to 
to solve and answer some of the questions, some of the questions we have. But I spoke to someone and they had, what, what they had in mind was that, okay, the best thing would have been to actually connect um, the lineage or like people who did these things to those NFTs so that they mm. also get a cut or a percentage whenever he sells these NFTs. But then... How is, well, it, is it to track exactly to track these people? Down? Okay, is, is that really possible? So, my own, what is the name of this person again? Sorry, Chidi. Chidi. Okay. So the person's name is Chidi, right? Yeah. So and is trying to recover artifacts, right? Mm-hmm. Not really recover. Digitally repatriate. Repatriate the artifacts. Good. Yeah. But it seems to me like just going to snap those things and creating NFTs out of it. Yeah. That's all it is to me because. If I don't buy those ads, mm. I can just go online and see it. Mm-hmm. I can go to YouTube and watch. Like, in fact, at Google I/O conference, they announced that they announced immersive view in Google Maps. So, on Google Maps, you can actually, you know, when you search for a street on Google Maps, and you can see the picture of the street the system. Yeah. with the immersive experience. You can it's actually. Life. It's not like just the life of pictures so you okay, can enter inside buildings enter buildings yes public spaces, public spaces now oh. so i imagine that happening okay. with museums so mm-hmm. why do i need to go to an nft website to go and look at pictures okay some chick is actually also planning the same thing before the the project actually launched in may 13 but before they launched i saw an interview on bbc not a physical interview an article on BBC where he spoke to them and then one of his plans is actually to create a metaverse see uh, that you can actually walk <laughs> that you can walk inside and you see these things you can walk around look at the back of the essence of this thing is not being able to see it yes, I, I, I think we are missing the whole point okay. of refracting this artifact right mm. If I want to see those artifacts and be inspired by what my people did a long time ago, mm-hmm. I do. I look for it on YouTube. Or if I have the money, I go to you. Can look at it. I don't care where it is. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to know that. Okay, the ancient Benin Empire from Edo State, by the way. I want to know that. Okay, these guys were actually brilliant people and mm-hmm. constructed a lot of amazing stuff. I can just go to the museum and see it. So the essence is bringing them back to the original owners. Of that artifact. That's the reason I can so, so, so you're saying doing this digitally <laughs> really does not doing it digitally. I think it's just what NFTs to is rubbish. This is what a lot of uh, tech people do. They have this. You have an idea of what you think is a problem. Okay. So you create a solution. Without asking or discovering whether people actually care about what you're doing, <coughs> then you launch it. I mean, it's very easy. You don't know whether his forefathers are smiling on him from wherever they are. Forefathers. So, so no look, at, look at some, There's something Chino Achebe said in Things for the Part. Ukunko was musing to himself and he was saying, Oh, so I will not look back on this particular place and look at the place. It would be cold, the ashes of people that's mm-hmm. supposed to be burning incense or liberations before me it'll be cold nobody will be there that particular land that location is actually important mm-hmm. we should be able to go to that so the what is the economic value for stonehenge in the uk mm-hmm. what is the use to the uk if imagine stonehenge is in another country and they're not 
vaccine. Oh, Stonehenge used to be in Britain. Yeah, okay, you know what? Now, Let's recover it digitally and put it on in, as oh, an edit. No, I feel sad. And I think when you when you also think about it, which is also why I would really love to speak to Chidi himself, so he might give answers to some of these questions that we have. Twenty, I know twenty percent is going to young artists. Do you mean eighty percent? Is going to win. Is going to win. Uh, obviously, the person who is running it. Is it going to the Oba of Benin? Is it going to the Obi of Onitsha? Is it going to the Sultan of Sokoto, the Emir of Kano? So, if it's going to the creators of this platform, then it's really defeats the purpose. I think any move. It's more like a move to profit. Any move to repatriate the so-called art that we lost is. I really don't see how it's going to help us. I mean, this is several years after it happened, possibly close to 100 years mm. after it happened. I'm just wondering, what's the value of knowing that or seeing the things that uh, my ancestors did? There is value in it. What's the, not what's not the value? to play the devil's advocate here. Mm. We are speaking from our, from our own view. Okay. Like just this, we don't know what is of value to me. Mm. Right? This 3D virtual artifact or whatever it is you want to call it yeah. might be very very valuable to some people true right so let me just add that okay yeah but okay. but if you can actually bring them yes you're talking about the how, how why is it valuable why is seeing um, something that was created some thousands of years ago valuable? i think it's valuable it's important to see what the people before you have created so you have an idea what if i can read about it or what if i've been told about it so i know that my people did this and i've saw the pictures and i've seen pictures so oh. why do i need to see them physically is there like a spiritual experience you have when you see them <laughs> don't need that <laughs> don't no that's what i'm <laughs> let's, could be. let's like wish you did the best have you not gone to museums before where is it where do they don't touch something they are not done to young. Okay. <laughs> 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 it's true, no? I had this because I went to the when I was a child. I went to the war museum in Umuahia, and it's supposedly a relic of the Biafran War. Hmm. And yes, I went as a kid, but that memory doesn't exactly excite me. Doesn't it? Doesn't make yeah, me that. possibly have you told that? <laughs> but I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't make me understand the light of these guys a little bit better mm. i mean i still okay i entered the ship i was that was sunk i i i i think there was this the so-called flying omuni view that was used mm. that was invented then i saw all of these things and yes i i had this i i had this idea that okay these guys were quite innovative yeah they they, they fought really hard uh, like against our odds and all but how does that help you currently? How? Okay, I, I see your point, but let me just give you a counterpoint. In 111, when I was in 111 University, I read about Ayilala. It's a blue deity. And is it? Ayilala is a blue deity. Okay, sounds very good. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's not drag that. Let's it's from. Oh, okay. Don't worry. It's from <laughs> Wakasaid in Ondo State now. Oh, I hear you. I okay. Okay, now I've heard. Okay, okay. Let's okay. get us Wakasaid continue <laughs> so i read about ailala then you have to go to ailala shrine for an excursion the experience of going to ailala shrine was actually different if i read about it or whatever i read 
will not compare to actually seeing everything online. Then the chief priest actually telling telling you the stories behind every artifact you are seeing. What we hey, so they allowed you to go to a chief priest uh, to Yeah, the only people that could not enter were women that oh. were <laughs> so but seeing that in real life, then seeing a what is basically a Yoruba hunter in front of an Edo shrine made me appreciate like the intersection of Yoruba and Edo culture, which you guys just share shouting now that uh, <laughs> is a Yoruba. Yes, yeah. it's, it's you hear some names in Edo the, the language or dialects and you think it's a Yoruba word. So it happens. So for you to actually appreciate history, hmm. for you to actually appreciate your cultural heritage. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, it's been an interesting one, and uh, if if make try to make sure you get to this this point, so that you will hear a I lot of know. just just keep just keep. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's been an interesting one, and uh, it's been an int- exciting week. A lot of things happening in tech, and yeah, artifacts, history, Bitcoin, Amigo tenders, everything, the whole nine yards. We're going to come back next week, and uh, we'd like to hear what you think. Right? Tweet at us with the hashtag TechPointAfrica podcast, or email us with podcast at TechPointAfrica. And if you're listening to us for the first time, or you've been listening, you've not been sharing, please share if you're finding this interesting and insightful. And uh, where else can we get the podcast? Where can we get the podcasts? Really, you are looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing the same thing I did last time. You can find us on Google Podcast. <laughs> that sounds like Google Podcast. <laughs> okay. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and anywhere else you get your podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Yeah.